In the Green Room with Bob O'Brien, brought to you by SOS Global Express. So today, folks, I'm in the green room with a dear old friend of mine, tour manager Ian Quinn, fondly known within the touring circles as Quinner. Quinner's been in the industry for well over 37 years, from when he first landed a role as wardrobe assistant uh, for Paul Young. And that was fresh from his days as a butler to an English lord. Yes, a butler. Hopefully more about that later. Anyway, Quinner and I have spent most of our ten year, last 10 years working with uh, the script. I have to say over a combined 60 years of touring between us both, Quinner's kept me more entertained and amused on a daily basis than anybody I've met in the industry or had the privilege of working with. Quinner, here we are again, sitting chatting. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. And, no. uh, First of all, will you give me what room you're in so I can uh, open a tab? Yeah, <laughs> tree, tree, tree. <laughs> <laughs> so when all this kicked in, you were you were working with the lads with the script. You're in the middle of a tour. That's correct. We had one UK show to to do at the end of the touring run, which would have been Newcastle, but they decided to finish after Aberdeen and get home. You know, because they've got families and friends and whatnot, and they just didn't feel right being out on the road. So we literally got a couple of double drivers up to Aberdeen, and I went back to Liverpool on the crew bus, and the lads went back to London, obviously on the band bus. Mm. And that was it. And since then, it's just been WhatsApp or message or the odd phone call. And then we keep getting dates. They're talking about next year now. So at the moment, I think there's still two shows showing us going ahead in September. But like everybody else, we're just going to have to wait and see. And I know you guys, uh, you were on a tour, you're going to be on a tour campaign till I think July or August. And um, from when we last chatted in Dublin, um, you were going to go on to Delamitri. Delamitri were going back on tour, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're not doing... Their first lot of dates are now in December of this year, followed by a tour in February next year. So all, all the dates are coming up at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean... So, It'll be a scrabble. Quinner, tell me, uh, you started with Paul Young years ago, wardrobe assistant. Um, yeah. Would you actually give us uh, just a bit of a background on when you wor- worked as a butler? Yeah, well, I, I'd, I'd worked at Liverpool University in the nuclear physics department uh, for five years. Decided to go to America and try and play a bit of football over there. Got injured, went back and... Just happened to be playing football. I played for the local team on Lord Derby's estate. And one day I was going to borrow a fancy dress outfit off one of the footmen. And <laughs> he turned up Friday afternoon and said the, the valet had packed his bags and gone. So the, the guy behind the bar goes, you could do that, Quinner. And I was like, no chance. I said, I've seen upstairs, downstairs. Anyway, a couple of pints later, I told them, you know, if if you're short or you need, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hand doing whatever. Anyway, I didn't think anything of it, but that night there's a knock 
and my mum and dad's. And it was his private secretary. He said, oh, you've got an interview with Lord Derby at half nine in the morning. I was like, oh, hell, okay. So uh, I got on the old treader, cycled up there. And I, I knew all the all the park because I had friends who lived in there. I used to be the paper boy going up there. So I sat down with him and we had a chat and he said, oh, so-and-so McPherson, the butler will show you how to do this. And thing. he said, can you move in on Tuesday and we're going to Australia on Friday? I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and from going there for two weeks to help them out, I ended up there five years later, you know, running the place and with Danny, who's just retired now. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. You know, I met a lot of interesting people, learned a lot about food, learned a lot about wine, and learned a lot about traveling. You know, it was the first time I'd kind of flown properly, you know, in first class with him. And we went out to Australia. And I remember going to the, the Siebel townhouse where we used to stay a lot yeah. in Sydney. And it, it was always my favourite hotel. And I used to see this guy sitting in the corner of the bar. And I used to think, God, I wonder what he does. Because he's in here every night. And he's like mine host. It only turned out to be Dennis, the head of Sony in Australia. Well, Dennis, yes, of course. Dennis Hanlon, yeah. Yes. And... Uh, you know, it, it was it was great. I remember going there, back there with Paul for the first time. And, like, the barman was still there, and I still remember his name, Ted. So we were in there, and all all these rock bands used to stay there. I remember being with Lord Derby, and Kiss was staying there, and all the kids were outside with the paint on. And, the, and he's like, bloody hell, what's going on here? But yeah, I remember going back with Paul and then obviously Dennis was the MD of Sony and getting to know him. And then I remember being there with Andrew Strong and Andrew and Balaam had to go and do the Grammys. So we all had a week off in the Siebel townhouse. And the first person I met was Keith Floyd, but one of my heroes. I ended up drinking with him for a week. <laughs> In the, in the hotel uh, and then actually me and Mrs Quinn went to stay with him in his at his pub down in Devon and became great friends with them you know and, then, and that was all through the Siebel townhouse and working for Lord Derby and what happened I decided to leave him I was going to go and take over a pub and Jimmy Jimmy Madden who you know yes as well he, he'd we'd done DJ stuff and PA stuff as as lads because he, he got done for drunk driving so I ended up driving him around and he'd just taken off with Paul Young with wherever I lay my hat and they wanted someone who could do wardrobe, do a bit of backline, just covering stuff. So that's I went down, had the interview and started in Hammersmith Odeon, I think it was then. Uh, and we were in there for seven night rehearsals. Then we had three shows in there. And I started that tour, went on the road and got home two years later. Wow. 
and we didn't even play in Liverpool. We played in Manchester and we just went round and round the world. And it, like I say, it was two years from leaving with the suitcase that I got home. And by that time, I was the assistant tour manager. Mm. And our kid came in and did the wardrobe. So he, he was Quinn of the Shrink. <laughs> <laughs> was was, was, that, East, was that East Start then in, in music? Yeah, that, yeah, that's how we started. Yeah. Just the MD said, you know, we need you helping Stan out. It was Stan Tippins at the time, right. great tour manager. And he, 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 he taught me a lot. And, and then uh, he said, I'll oh, just get your kid in. Tell your mum to show him how to iron a shirt and <laughs> get him to do it. And that was it. And then he... Well, you could have you could have shown you could have shown him because you you were doing it for Lord Derby, wouldn't you? Oh, I was too busy, <laughs> too busy tasting the wines. Oh yeah, showing them the wines, and and that became the the biggest pain really because mm-hmm. every time there was wine involved, it was like what we have in Quinner. Yeah, and it was that, and that's where Quinner came from because there were five Ians on that first tour, and not one of us got called. Ian, <laughs> you know, when I when I started looking for gigs, I you know, I worked with them from '83 till the end of '87. Yeah, so I finished it with him and uh, Jeff over at Sensible. Jeff Allen, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jeff, he was playing drums with Barbara Dixon, and he he go. We used to go in Sensible a lot, or John Henry's, and yeah. Easy High was another place up the road and around there, and we'd 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 see a lot of it. And he said, "Oh, she's looking for a tour manager." So that was my next job. And then from there, I just snowballed. And I think Delamitri was about the fourth gig I got after a band called Diesel Park West. Yes, and. Uh, they ended up being managed by the same person and it just carried on from there, really. We've had some fantastic nights where those old stories with Lord Derby in the early days came out, things yeah. when the Royal Family visited and stuff like that, and um, you just don't come across them very often in the touring world. No, well, you know, I'd, I'd looked after the Queen, Prince Charles, Princess Diana, and we were just talking last night, the kids were watching that, SAS program with the, the, the celebrities and uh, Paris said to Amber, well, no, my dad used to look after them and I, I used to look after David and Bill Sterling who started it all off. And I remember being in the back of a Land Rover with them and we were driving, we were on a grouse shoot and you, you come down the Goit Valley and then there's just two RSJs over the over the bloody hundred foot Ali. drop, right. and he just come hurtling down, laughing. Drive, drive across, drive across, like not. At me and you, we'd gone at two mile an hour. He was doing four, and then up the other side, and I'd be sat there with two shotguns all the show. <laughs> He'd just be screaming, laughing. I was like, oh. <laughs> and you could just see him. In his long range, and they hadn't changed. Yeah, they'd, they'd be out squirting each other with the soldiers oh, and all coming through the windows. <laughs> yeah, he, they were nice guys. 
a lot of people we, we were very careful about who was coming mm. the ones who knew a lot about wine we had our book and we put it in because some of them could tell you how long it had been open when it had been decanted and yeah <clears throat> we had a, a smart ass section <laughs> <laughs> We've shared some production offices, haven't we, along the way? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Oh, no. who's going to pop out of where? <laughs> <laughs> Scary box moment and stuff like Scary that. Scary box, yeah. That's <laughs> always been my favourite. We came across this box on a Delamitri tour, and Buddy, the backline guy, who, who you know, yeah. he's an absolute lunatic, but one of the funniest guys I've ever worked with. And yeah, he, he goes, yeah. oh, scary box so we put the box in the corridor someone would get in and you'd stand by the scary box till someone came along and you start chatting to them and they'd be leaning on the box and on on a given word from me buddy would fly out the box and it, it's absolutely horrendous people people used to run away or scream or fall to the floor and it went on for a good few tours. BB Mac loved it. Yeah. Christian used to have that, but he scared everyone. All these other stars were <laughs> row with us. And he's got all the videos of it as well. All I've got are stories. And then on the script, we had, uh, it was, uh, geez, it was Colin Rogers. Uh, he just kept it up so long. You'd, um, you'd literally, you'd walk into the production office and, uh, Somebody would grab your leg from under a trestle table. I'll come, I'll come out from behind the curtain. And, yeah. Uh, scared the living shit out of you. Everybody's in stitches. You're having a near heart attack. And uh, you find out, you find out, then Colin's been standing there underneath the table for 10 solid minutes because you were just oh. in the office, but maybe I got held up in the corner chatting to somebody. Oh, yeah. He'd, he'd, he'd stretch it out. It wouldn't worry him to wait there half an hour. He, he takes it to the extremes. Fair play. It's nothing better than seeing someone <laughs> shit themselves. <laughs> I've had a good few laughs. How many times in the hotel lobbies did you? How many times did you send people the wrong way? You'd come. Yeah. Back, I mean, you'd be sitting there with a Starbucks, and someone would come up and say, "Oh, where'd you get the Starbucks?" And you'd say, "Oh, it's you go out the door, take a right, go two blocks down, is right opposite the FedEx office." 20 minutes later, the guy come back into the lobby saying, I couldn't find it. And then you say, yeah, I know, because it's behind the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> They're the favourites. I went with one lad, Tom Gray. And he, he, was, he was a great artist, but he loved the sign. And he, you know, he'd always ask where the signs were for the dressing room. <laughs> and we we got somewhere in Germany, and I I I was up, I was doing the signage, and I thought, Jesus, it's April Fool's Day, and there was a fire escape four stories high, so I set the signs for the dressing rooms all the way up. This four flights of four flights of fire escape, and then on the door. The fire exit had stuck a little April Fool's thing, and I watched him. He got off and he struggled with his suitcase because he didn't listen about taking the day bag. Suitcase all the way up, got to there, and he's just started screaming, I'll kill him. <laughs> but then, you know what? 
it got back to the bottom and we watched all the others get off the bus and do the same thing. Go all the way up the fire escape, four flights. They were all gunning for me that night. You know what? I do remember, like, uh, over over the time, I don't know how many... I'd hear from the end of a hallway or something, somebody shouting out, Quinner! You've done something else to something. Oh, yeah. He used to terrorise people, man. Oh, yeah. Young Alex. Yeah. He was good. Terrorising. Tell yeah. us about the... Uh, and most people will know you for this right from the start. The, the, the story you had on the marble. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'd, you got the marble... And you had to have the marble on you at all times. If if somebody tapped and you didn't have your marble, you had to give everybody who was there a pound who had a marble. <laughs> so it, it went on, so people would go to extremes, you know, someone would ring up and go, so and so's just gone to the swimming pool. He won't have his marble. Have marble. <laughs> so we we round everybody up and all walk into the leisure centre, tapping our marbles, and they'd be like, "You can't do that." <laughs> oh no, you you can do that. It's my game. You down for everyone. On one stage, we was on the Delamitri tour, and we were in the we were in the Malmaison in Manchester. And the guitarist goes, got tapped, and he goes, he paid everyone. He can't just keep tapping. So he goes, that's it. I've paid you all. That's that's it done all over. And he was quite quite thrifty with his money. So I phoned the production manager up and told them when they left the gig in Manchester to stop the tour buses with all the crew at the Malmaison. So all of a sudden. All the crew, like 40 people, turn up and all tapping them in the Malmaison bar. And he's, he should have been a marble. That was a really expensive knife for him. Yeah, it's really kind of phrase. He's lost his marble. Yeah. That's it. it was all to make people check. They got everything when they're leaving the hotel rooms. Actually, on the last um, on the last tour I did, which was uh, specifically picked, the last tour I did was with you and and the lads, the script, and I wanted to finish up on when, when I was moving over to this my current gig at uh, SOS Global. Uh, I wanted to finish it out um, with the script and with yourself and with the rest of the guys, and uh, we have some stories that night, some couple of nights on the bus and stuff. And it was actually Lisa Cribbley came up with the, she was telling the story the first time that you pulled out the marble and she thought that you were all off your heads, you were all lunatics. But she, she got caught out. She said, I think she said she got caught out a few times and she suddenly realized I better start carrying my marble everywhere I go. <laughs> like, so she said she used to, when she'd shower after the gig at night, she'd make sure she had the marble just in case somebody would break in with a look with the marbles. <laughs> I think she made it into a necklace or an earring. Oh, could it, or something, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so funny. A... What's a phrase that, uh, and I know the answer to this already, what's a phrase that people would commonly know you by? Still. <laughs> <laughs> will, you, will you explain that? 
yeah, I, I, I used it a lot <laughs> growing up and talking to bands who come out with the, these fantastic ideas and, and I hear, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Still, you know best. Off we go. <laughs> and then the, once they get to know me, they'd come up with an I go still. And they go, yeah, it's stupid, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's how it's lasted. <laughs> and so that's what I called the company. Yeah, still, uh, still, you know best. Limited. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I've said it a few times over the years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm off from memory. I'm going to just uh, list out um, bands that you've worked with. I mean, we first met and worked with each other on the uh, on Andrew Strong from the Commitments fame years ago. But you did yeah. uh, both of us worked at different times on the chorus. Yeah, and you've done Delamitri. Uh, I know you've done Richard Ashcroft and Stereophonics. I know there's Jason Status there. I know you did Marillion. I'm going to say Calvin Harris. The script, obviously. I know you did a stint with Five Seconds of Summer. I remember you worked with Pulp for a good while. Yeah, The Darkness. The Darkness, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's one. Like Leanne Le Havis. Yeah, she was oh, great. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes you just completely forget. You do. And, you know, it's no disrespect to the artist, but it's like time moves on and stuff and you do forget. You know, it's something that I wanted to touch on in the podcast at some stage, I suppose, because we've been, we've been with each other so long over the years, especially the most recent years when, when my kids were much smaller, just the touring and being away from the family and stuff like that. And you see it with, with the script lads as well and their families. It's a horrible thing getting that balance right or trying to get that balance right. Yeah, yeah, it's really difficult to, and really difficult for the, you know, your wife being at home, mm. bringing up the kids. You know, I, I was always thought it was easier having all girls rather than, you know, lads and wanting to then wanting to go out and play football and be. Yeah. Well, in the end, Paris ended up playing with a football team, and <laughs> I still ended up when I was home. On the old muddy field, yeah. And when when I first started touring, we we could be away for nine months, a year, yeah. I, just over a year is about the longest I've done without being home. I mean, it's good for the bank balance, but and even to go into it, I, I kind of ask a lot on the podcasts about connectivity and stuff like that. The reason I kind of touch on it is uh, because when we all started, there was no connectivity. You know, it's yeah. it was the calling cards and, yeah. Or uh, putting all those numbers in, numbers in America. I remember the facts coming in and thinking it was the greatest invention mm. ever. I've made reference to it, I think, in a previous podcast. Tell me about the uh, Paul Young writer. He used to have a page where it was all black jelly babies and then... Uh, Lady of the Night, written in Italian. Now, the, you know the reason why we used to put that in. So they'd actually check the rider and ring you and go, yeah. what the? And it only ever happened once. This Italian promoter turned up. With the Lady of the Night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a joke. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was... That was funny when the when it backfires. Tell us the strangest request you think you've had from a band member. On tour, I remember being with 
Rod, Rod and Gab, Rodrigo and Gabriella. And it was about one o'clock in the morning. He came to me looking for an onion and a lemon. <laughs> and I was like, for, for what? <laughs> would you believe it? To make guacamole. <laughs> they had all the other stuff, the avocado and that, but they didn't have the onion. And yeah. So I'm like, I've been asked <laughs> all kinds at one in the morning, but never. Anyway. <laughs> We're in the States, so I nipped out to the bar and I said, mate, have you got a lemon and an onion? And he went into the kitchen, got me a lemon. Oh, that's easy. But went and found me an onion. Sometimes just, it's easier just to get it done and move yeah. on. It's quicker to actually get it done and move on. Yeah, well, I, I haven't mentioned them in there, but when, when I worked for Westlife, I remember we were driving down the motorway two o'clock in the morning going back to London. And they wanted to pull off the motorway and go looking for a chipper. And like all the chippies close in the latest eleven o'clock. But let's go and have a look. <laughs> no, but they, they're arguing with me. And it's like no. I said to the driver, just stay on this motorway. And on, give us, give us the line. Um... You worked with Westlife for ages and ages. Give us the line you, you, you told them. Well, I basically got them all in and said, look, you, you lot are wasting your money paying me. Yeah, I said, you're better off getting Super Nanny in. I'm off all in. That was, the, that was my tenure. <laughs> what drives you absolutely batshit crazy on tour? about people when you get people who are tight you know always last at the bar always yeah. asking who's, who's paying for this and that that ranks me sometimes you know it's just more than anything actually. yeah so. you can spot you can spot that a while. spot them a while away yeah and they're quite happy to take the drink off you yeah any memorable events gigs yeah i, I suppose doing live aid 85 and being involved with that with with Paul Young, who was quite high up in the order, you know, uh, that was great. And then I did a gig uh, with Rod, Rod and Gab in the White House for Obama, and it was the inauguration of the Mexican president. That was a good one. But yeah, Live Aid was for all the right reasons. I remember you telling me a story this is, uh, years ago when I was thinking about scary events. But you, you had one with Paul Young. Yeah, oh yeah, way back in the days. He'd, we used to have the Marley and Paul would run round the back of the stage, come back on the other side of the stage and slide across on his knees, grab the mic and then sing to the audience. And he... Pulled over the stage man is the big youth goes is not slippy enough. They had to stuttered it up, Paul. So he got out the fucking pledge and polished it. Literally. The next night he comes off and he took off. He went straight off the front of the stage into the pit. He got <laughs> two ribs, but got back up. Finished the show. We flew to LA the next day, which was it was like a thirty-six hour flight. 
we went via Hawaii, God knows. And then we met this Sikh, and uh, he was Michael Jackson's chiropractor, and he tweaked him. He, he was he was a good old guy. Mm. He was great. Were you around when Paul did that stuff with Zucchero? Yeah. Yeah, that we, was a massive song, wasn't it? Yeah. An album you did. Yeah, he did an album with him. And back in, I think it was about 1986, Paul recorded an album in Caramate in just outside of Milan. And we were there for six months. And Zucchero used to come down they'd record stuff together and in fact i think it was the last thing jeff Picaro ever did oh. uh, the drummer yes he he played on paul's album and we were in that castle in in milan honestly the paul's first album no parlay cost forty seven thousand pounds to record and i think we were at sixty seven thousand on the food bill <laughs> Alone in Italy, alone. Yeah, yeah. I, think, yeah. I, I came back like two stone heavier. Quinner, when you fly, I'll a window seat. And before you answer that, Steve Chapman has asked me to make sure I ask you that question. <laughs> okay, <laughs> window seat for me. <laughs> Why? Something to lean against. Look out. Just, you know, rather if if you're on the end, there's nothing to lean against. Yeah, it's definitely always a window for me. The, the reason Steve Chapman said that is because um, we, we were chatting about, uh, he, he was joking about the fact that sometimes he's known that you've just done in order to keep people happy because people are whinging about where they're sitting in the plane and they don't have their seat selection, you've just gone, you've swapped with them and you've sat in the middle seat just to keep them from whinging. You couldn't listen to the morning anymore. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> and he said you've handed people your, your boarding card and just gone, just sit in my seat. The tour will be a much better place if you do that. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Wheelie bag or backpack? Wheelie. Yeah, I tried the backpack once. Didn't like it. Unsung heroes on tour. Caterers. I always watch them. They're slaving away, sweating away, running around. And always in the best of form. Yeah. But it's always, uh, catering is just, uh, it's the heart and soul of touring, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've been on tours. The catering's shitty. It's up. It doesn't half affect the tour. Oh, yeah. And it, it's pretty difficult to get a a shitty caterer these days, you know. Yeah. Unless you're doing one-offs and you don't know. If if you're on a tour, we all know who we, who we like. So it's... it's, it's <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing there because I'm remembering the story. We were in the uh, Roundhouse in London. Doing the, I think we were doing the iTunes event. You know yeah. what I'm going to talk about, right? And uh, yeah. Minnie, if you're listening, we... You guys were queuing up for catering, and uh, oh, you can't tell the story, Hugh. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to the yeah, and they got to the counter, and the guys said, "Well, what do you want?" And I said, "Hey, Minnie, was it the lasagna you said that shit?" And he, <laughs> the girls like, the girls like, what? He said that. And he's like, what? And he 
he's panicking then. He's so absolutely mortified. She calls out the chef. And he's like, what's up with that? I, I said, oh, no, give us the sh- shrimp thing. Yeah, don't. He said, it's shit. <laughs> and we had, this, we had the same caterers in Brighton. That's and right. He wouldn't go in. He went to the chippy. <laughs> <laughs> They're the little things. Oh, man, so funny. <laughs> I, I was sitting there waiting for you to get your food and sit down that day. And I just saw Minnie and he, he nearly choked. And he was mortified. And, yeah, the ground, the ground yeah. opened up around him. <laughs> That was definitely one of your better moments. Oh, God, yeah. If you were to buy a ticket, who would you go and see and why? You know what? I, I got into the Sugar Hill gang. If I could see them in in uh, New York, I'd, I'd just be one of those great nights for me. You know, I'd, I've seen a lot of great shows over the time, but I'd, just something about them that I really, really enjoy. Mm. So... Uh, if they got back together. Quinner, September the 11th, where were you and what were you doing? You know, well, I, I was thinking of coming off the road, actually. I was with uh, a T-shirt guy and this guy who had a hotel in in Glasgow, where we used to stay. And they'd put an offer on in on a building in Liverpool. It used to be the old... Liverpool Insurance Company, a great building, and we'd acquired that, and we were in, and we were measuring out where we were putting the mezzanine in the bar. Two days later, we we got the call that the bank had pulled all the money for the hotel. So yeah, I remember it clear as day. I can still see the yellow paint being put down as where the mezzanine was going, where the bar was going. Did it have much effect on you? Uh, yeah, it made you it made you weary of getting on planes and going out. I went out to America a couple of weeks later with BB Mac, and you know you clearly looked at everybody getting on that plane, you know, and it was it was strange and the. the Obviously, the the way the security changed, moving through airports and every other aspect of travel, it it, it changed everything. Yeah. What's your favourite part of touring? Getting on the plane home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if I ask the opposite to that, then what's the least favourite part of touring? Getting on the plane to go to the first gig. <laughs> Thought you might say that. <laughs> Okay, what's the most interesting time period, a time period for you in, in over those 37 years? You, you know what, I, I, I had great times with Paul Young. Uh, he was instant, he was at that level anyway. We, we were at a big level with, that just went higher and higher. But actually, the last 10 years, working with the script, you know, from doing pubs, first gig I did was that little pub in Portsmouth. Um, with them and watching it grow to doing going all the way to Crow Park in that period. Yeah. And, you know, we put a good team together. When you mentioned that period, I mean, for me, I was right there in the middle of all that. 
you know what, just the way we were able to do it and like I suppose the grace and humility of the guys and the trust they placed in, especially both of us anyway, and the trust, the management yeah. and everybody placed in us to go do it and do what we needed yeah. to do and stuff. Yeah, everything happened and yeah, it was, it was good. So yeah, the last 10 years have been good. Quinner, I've just remembered in all your stories, would you would you tell us the story about scaring the living daylights out of the girls at home when you come home from tour? Yeah, well, the, the one thing I have at home is uh, a Danny mask. As in Danny from the script? Yeah. So I stick that on and lo and behold, they think it's Danny coming into either the bathroom, the bedroom or the... <laughs> and it works every time. <laughs> Wasn't there one story? Because I remember when Paris was out on tour with us, she used to tell us some great stories on the tour bus at night. And uh, she told us one about um, the, the girls, when, they, when they'd go into the shed, I think, or the attic, uh, to get something out, they'd go in in pairs for fear that you'd be hiding behind <laughs> some doorway and you'd scare the living daylights out of them. Yeah, they'd turn all the outside lights on and... They do go in pairs, but I've got a, I've got an old scream mask. That's very handy. Get them on the way back or on the way out. Every time. Hey, Quinner, on that note, you know, it's been hilarious chatting to you, catching up with you. And thanks for the catch up. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye bye. All right, Bob. Cheers. In the Green Room, sponsored by SOS Global Express. Proudly supporting the frontline efforts throughout the COVID-19 pandemic.